you'll notice, brothers and sisters, that there are times when you may feel the presence and the power of the Almighty in your life than, than you do at other times. There are times when you're prayed up and, and you feel His anointing on your life and you're walking in that authority. And then there are other times when you may find yourself operating in a state of weakness. The fact of the matter is that it's not about how you feel, it's about how He has empowered you. See, you have been empowered 24 hours, seven days a week, whether you operate in that empowerment 24 hours a day, seven days a week or not. You will allow yourself to operate in the authority that He gives you based on how you feel. How you feel will be based on the circumstances that are operating in your life. How many of you know circumstances change? It changes from moment to moment, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, and you cannot operate based on how you feel, based on the circumstances. You have to walk in the authority and power regardless to how you feel in your natural self. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Humility can be defined as having a humble opinion of oneself. Pride, the opposite of humility, can be defined as the character of one who, with a swollen estimate of his own powers or merits, looks down on others and even treats them with insolence and contempt. Religious pride and piety can easily be cloaked in false humility. Soon after demonstrating unbelief in their inability to cast the unclean deaf and dumb spirit out of a young man, a brief lesson on paying tribute to Caesar, the disciples got into an argument on who was the greatest among them. Yeshua uses this opportunity to teach his disciples and us a lesson on humility and pride and shares a parable with them revealing Jehovah's desires for believers and unbelievers alike. The message title in this podcast is Humility and Pride. So, let's study. So again, we are in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be discussing humility, and pride. Those of you who received the email notification of our service today, you'll note that we talked about last week's teaching. We opened it up with a definition of humility and of pride, and then began the discussion on how after the children or the Peter, James, and John who had gone up the mountain with Yeshua during the transfiguration, how at the foot of that mountain, the, the nine disciples who were left encountered a man who had a son. Yeshua said the boy had a deaf and dumb spirit. In some versions, it says the boy was lunatic. And in other versions, talked about epilepsy. And when Yeshua came down from that mountain, Last week, we looked at his frustration with the disciples because they could not cast 
the devil out of that boy. When they asked the question, why he spoke to them because of their unbelief. In other words, they had turned from the faith that they had earlier. And for whatever reason, maybe reverted back to their way of thinking before he empowered them. You'll notice brothers and sisters that there are times when you may feel the presence and the power of the almighty in your life than you do at other times. There are times when you are prayed up and, and you feel his anointing on your life and you're walking in that authority. And then there are other times when you may find yourself operating in a state of weakness. The fact of the matter is that it's not about how you feel. It's about how he has empowered you. See, you have been empowered 24 hours, seven days a week, whether you operate in that empowerment 24 hours a day, seven days a week or not. You will allow yourself to operate in the authority that he gives you based on how you feel. How you feel will be based on the circumstances that are operating in your life. How many of you know circumstances change? It changes from moment to moment, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month. And you cannot operate based on how you feel, based on the circumstances. You have to walk in the authority and power regardless to how you feel in your natural self. And so Messiah was frustrated with them because for some reason they had reverted back. They had turned from the empowerment and the faith that they had been sent out. And now they're dealing with the man who has a boy who's frustrated with them because they could not cast out a demon when they had been empowered by Messiah to do just that. Not only to cast out devils, but to heal the sick and raise the dead. If you've got the authority and have been given the authority to raise the dead, how is it that a demon can elude that authority? A dead person don't have a demon other than the spirit of death. And when you can cast out the spirit of death and raise the dead, then what limit you to be able to cast out a deaf and dumb spirit out of a boy? Unbelief. Unbelief. And as I stated last week, unbelief is the silent killer of faith. Unbelief will rip you off. It will steal from you. It will render you helpless. Suck all the authority and power that you have been given. And this is why you have to be mindful of the people that you allow in your space, because there are people who will suck your faith right out of you, drain you, wear you out. And you have to guard your heart and stay connected to him and stay covered at all times. And so after that situation, the disciples now come into Capernaum and in Capernaum, there was the tax collector who questioned Peter and asked him if his master paid taxes. We discussed that issue and we note that Yeshua told Peter to go and to grab this fish and this fish would have the 
the money in it to pay his taxes and Peter's taxes. Now, sometime between them coming into Capernaum and Peter finding the fish, there is a dispute among the disciples. There's an argument as to who is the greatest among them. Yeshua uses this opportunity to teach his disciples and us because there's a lot for us to learn from this teaching concerning humility and pride. And then he goes from there and he'll share a parable with them, revealing father's desire for believers and unbelievers alike. The event that is about to unfold in this passage is found also in Mark chapter nine, verses 33 through 37 and Luke chapter nine, verses 46 through 48. And what Mark and Luke does is that they help us develop a, a panoramic view or a full view or vision of what takes place during this encounter. In verse one, Matthew 18, it says at the same time. Now at the same time as what? Because what Matthew is doing here is he's connecting chapter 18 to chapter 17. Let us remember folks, Matthew did not write in chapters and verses. Matthew wrote a event, a continual event. He sat down to begin to write of his encounter with the Messiah from the time the Messiah's ministry started until the end of that ministry. Theologians come along and separate chapters from verse or chapters from chapters and then put numbers for verses. That's not how Matthew wrote. So when he says at the same time, then now you've got to connect back to the previous lesson that he taught on. At the same time, the disciples came unto Yeshua saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the question arose between the transfiguration, the disciples' inability to cast out the devil. And of course, we dealt with that last Sabbath. Mark and Luke help us put a timeline together because what we're going to find here in Luke, it says, then there arose a reasoning. So here they are coming from the Mount of Transfiguration. They enter into Capernaum. They go into a house. When they come into Capernaum, Peter is asked about Messiah. He stands and continues to talk with the tax collector. The disciples go on. They enter into the house. When Peter comes into the house, Messiah questioned him about the circumstance that had happened. And he asked him about who do the sons of the king pay taxes to? You remember that? So now, somewhere in between there, them leaving and coming into Capernaum and getting into the house, there's this argument that's taking place. So Messiah's ahead of them. They're behind seemingly, and they're having this dispute. And he's aware of the chatter that's going on behind him. The disciples had been following Yeshua for some time now and began to question amongst themselves who was the greatest among them. Now, if we put it in context, we come to realize, I suspect that the three disciples that were 
you know, at the top of the list was Peter, James, and John. Why? Because they were up in the Mount of Transfiguration. They weren't the ones down below who Messiah rebuked because of their unbelief. Now, Father had told Peter up in the mountain to shut up because he's talking about building tabernacles. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, what Peter is saying, he don't know what else to say, but the Almighty deals with him and puts the focus on Messiah. So Peter, James, and John are probably the ones who are arguing amongst themselves. And when we get into the later chapters of Messiah, we're going to see that James and John's mom comes along and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, let my sons be on your left and on your right. Basically, when you sit on the throne, and I suspect that she was thinking like so many others that Messiah was going to come and he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel and become the king of Israel after the likeness of a descendant of David, which was prophesied that the scepter would not leave the house of David. So many saw Yeshua as actually coming to establish the kingdom to Israel. So now mama comes along later on in Matthew and says, let my sons be your right hand man and your left hand man when you come into the kingdom. Now, these are positions of power and authority. Whenever I read that, I see the Baptist pulpit where you got the big chair and then the two little chairs next to it. You got your left hand man and you got your right hand man. But what you have, brothers and sisters, is you have a identity issue. The identity issue here is that, okay, we're all in this together, but there's some big eyes and there's some little U's. And so, you know, who do you think is the biggest I in the bunch? And I can imagine Peter saying, well, you know, whenever Messiah goes into these places, he take me and then he take Peter, he takes James and John. So, you know, it's a no brainer. James and John say, holy, wait a minute, bro. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You know, so you got this dispute going on and Yeshua, you know, he, he's aware of what's going on. So in Luke, Luke states, I thought I had Mark in there. Yeah. Luke states, there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. And again, this conversation has taken place in Mark chapter nine, verse number 33. It says, and he came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he came to Capernaum and being in the house. Now, remember back in Matthew, they came into Capernaum, they entered a house and that's where they were. He asked them. Now, Matthew tells us that when they came, Matthew one says at the same time came the disciples unto Yeshua saying, Matthew gives us the impression they came to him. Mark lets us know that when they came in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves while we were on the way here? 
So he's aware that this dispute, this conversation is going on. And obviously it gets to a point to where they get into a confrontation because the word that he used is that they were arguing. They were strongly reasoning amongst themselves. So he gets in the house. He knows what's going on. So he says, what were you guys disputing amongst yourselves while we were on the way here? And then look at verse 34 says, but they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. So when he confronts them about the conversation, nobody said anything. Why? Why do you think that is? Because they knew that what they were talking about and how he would probably respond to the argument they were having. You guys are arguing among who's going to be the greatest amongst yourselves. See, this may seem strange to some of us, but we have these kinds of arguments. If you got a job and you work with people and a promotion comes up and you don't get the promotion, if you have siblings, think about the two boys, the one who they call, you know, the prodigal who took his money and left and the other one who stayed. And when the one came home, how the father now makes a big to do of it. But the one who didn't go had an issue with it because see, what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to start examining ourselves to deal with the issues that is in our hearts because the issues that is in our heart is keeping us from operating in the authority and power that we've been given. And it's really steeped in motives and motivation and the desire to be recognized. In verse 35, it says, and he sat down and called the 12 and said unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So what does he do? He's about to teach them a lesson on humility, but he addresses the issue of pride because there's some pride that's going on here. Whenever you're arguing about who's the greatest among you, you got some pride issues. Now, I may not say it here, but that's what's going on. So, verse 2, Yeshua called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who house they're in, but we know that they're in a house. And the house that they're in, obviously, they didn't just go and take over somebody's house. More likely, they were invited to come. So they go in the house and chance what it seems as if in that house, there's children. Now, while these grown folk is arguing and disputing amongst each other, Yeshua humbles them all by taking a child. Now, you got to understand something, brothers and sisters. These fellows have been following Messiah and they've got the idea because Acts tells us before Yeshua ascends, Peter asked, one of the disciples asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? What does that say to us? Where their minds were, where their heads are. Do you know that there are many in the Messianic communities, their heads is in Israel. They're focused on all things Israel. 
They're looking at Israel for the signs of the time instead of looking to the Almighty. They're focusing on trying to reach Jewish people instead of trying to reach their communities, reach the people that they have access to. So he calls this child in the midst of them and set him in the midst and says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. What do you mean be converted? Because he uses a term because of their unbelief earlier, whereas it indicated that he had taught them one thing. It seems as if they had it. But then when the opportunity came for them to show and demonstrate whether they had it, that they had lost it. They had lost their frame of mind. You see, when you're walking in authority and power, you have a frame of mind. You believe at that moment all things are possible. You believe at that moment that the authority and the power of the Almighty is operating in you. But when you get into that state of weakness, you have a change of mind. You're in another state of mind. Now you need prayer. You need somebody to pray for you. Did Yeshua ever ask anybody to pray for him? Now, I want to show you something. Well, I'm, I'm not going to show it because I'll, I'll get off track, but I will tell you about it. The Bible tells us that Yeshua is sitting at the right hand, interceding on our behalf. Right? The Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit is working in us with groanings and utterings. We've got the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. We've got Messiah interceding on our behalf. And yet we feel that we need mortal men to intercede on our behalf. Oh, I'm going to mess with you today. You see, some of us really believe we trust the Almighty, but our actions demonstrate we don't. Our feelings dictate to us how we operate. We say we walk by faith and not by sight, but our actions show we spend more time in our sight than we do in our faith. How did we get there? Why are we there? And what are we going to do about it? Because either you've been set free or you haven't. Either you've been empowered or you haven't. Either he's given you his spirit or, or he hasn't. How you operate is going to be based on your frame of mind. Your frame of mind is going to be dictated by what's going on around you versus what's supposed to be happening in you. What's supposed to be happening in you is that we're supposed to be building up our faith. We're supposed to be adding to our faith. We're supposed to be growing stronger and stronger from grace to grace, from faith to faith. We're supposed to be maturing instead of being like children. Just like the Hebrew writer says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But you need somebody to teach you all over again the basic stuff. Now, I'm not screaming at you. I'm just saying Somehow, we've got to get a breakthrough so that we don't do, as they say, take one step forward and three steps backwards. Take two steps forward 
and then three steps backwards, where we step up and then turn, where we operate in power and then go back to that old man like a dog returning to his vomit. Let me be nice, because we're going to be asking you to give an offering. Um, <laughs> see, people, people don't mind giving when they feel encouraged, but when they feel like they're being beat up on, it's like... <laughs> this word converted here is to turn, to turn around, to change one's mind. So what did he say? He says, verily I say unto you, except you be converted. Converted from what? Get off the ideology of who is the greatest and remember the things that I've taught you and the authority and power that you've been given. So here's a lesson. Notice what the rest of the verse says. The rest of the verse says, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a minute. They're following Yeshua. What he's saying is that the way you're thinking right now is going to prevent you from entering into the kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. Aren't they already in the kingdom? They're following the Messiah. Remember Judas? Judas was following him too. Remember Judas was sent out with the 12. Don't get it twisted, folks. Just because you have a belief in the Messiah don't mean you're doing what he's calling you to do. See, there's people who believe in him. James says the devil believes and trembles. He has no question. He has no doubt. Because when Messiah came on the scene, guess what? The Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for what? To be tempted of the devil. It was in that wilderness experience that the devil recognized, he knew this is he. So he left him for a season. And by the time that cross comes, Messiah said, it's finished. Well, it's finished. Your hold on creation has just been destroyed in the lives of those who put their faith in me. When you put your faith in him, the devil has no authority or power in your life. What are you afraid of? Brother said, oh, now be careful what you say. No, why do I have to be careful what I say? Messiah has given us authority over the works of the devil. Either he has or he hasn't. Why should you be afraid of the devil? He hasn't given you a spirit of fear. If you've got fear in you, it didn't come from him. And you have to ask yourself, why do you have fear? Because if you've got fear in you, you got something that belongs to the devil that gives him place, gives him access, and the ability to come in and out of your life as he pleases. Yeshua attempts to correct their thinking, knowing that their current frame of thinking could prevent them from entering the kingdom of heaven. There is no place for pride in the kingdom. The Bible has a lot to say about pride. So you want to put your feet under the table because I'm about to step on some. Proverbs says, verse 8, chapter 13, the fear of Jehovah is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. 
Proverbs 11.2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. If you've got any kind of pride whatsoever in you, these verses are speaking to you. Only by pride comes contention. Think about it, you in an argument. What's your argument about? Because when you get in an argument, what are you trying to do? Trying to win. You're trying to overcome. You're trying to subdue. Where is that coming from? It's coming from a place of pride. You just may not identify it as that. See, when you're not dealing with pride, you ain't arguing with folks. You're confident in who you are. You know right from wrong. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. So why are you arguing? Why are you arguing? What are you fighting for? You feel you're being disrespected? You feel like you're not getting the honor and the respect that you should be getting? Because what's going to happen if you start arguing, chances are you're going to end up fighting. And if you end up fighting, somebody might get hurt or worse. And after a while, you know what? That's the kind of stuff that leads to separation. In some cases, divorce, pride. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 11.2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. See, when, when you allow your pride or the pride that you have to puff you up, to exalt you, then you start saying things and behaving and acting in a such a way that once you come out of that spirit and you start looking at and assessing what you've said and what you've done, that's where that shame comes in. Start regretting your behavior. You step outside yourself and look at how you're acting. Proverbs 14, 3, in the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 19.23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And remember when we were teaching concerning Yeshua, talking about what, what goes uh, what, what defiles a man. And Martha says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So where you going to find whatever pride you got? It's in you. It's in you. It resides in you. This is why Yeshua says, listen, except you be converted. See, when pride tries to raise its ugly head, you got to deal with it. You got to confront it. 
It's not coming from outside of you, brothers and sisters. It's coming from within you. Pride is so ingrained in our cultures and affects almost every aspect of our lives. You got ethnic pride. And it don't matter what nationality you are. If you talk to a person long enough and they start telling you about their nationality, guess what? They're going to give you their history. Well, you know, we Italians. Well, you know, we Africans. Well, you know, we Asians. Well, you know, we black folk. We African-American. You listen long enough and you'll, you'll, you'll see that pride exude. There's white pride. Jewish pride. Pride from the school you went to. Sorority and fraternity. Military pride. Gay pride. Religious pride. Denominational pride. And then there's national pride. Now, I'm going to mess with you a little bit more. Because I decided to pull out some lyrics from some well-known songs. Just in case. You don't think these things apply to you. I'm proud to be an American. Well, at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died. Who gave that right to me. What about the lyrics to this one? Oh, say, can you see? By the dawn's early light. What's so proud? Now, I know some folks are going to get upset at me because they're going to say, you aren't American. You don't have patriotism. Patriotism is a religion that I don't subscribe to. I don't subscribe to that. My allegiance is to the kingdom, not to no nation. We all got to live somewhere. (laughs) Americans operate under a false sense of freedom. America can't decide if its freedom comes from God, the Constitution, or the military men who fought and died and gave it that freedom. Because as Americans, we've been steeped in pride. It's not just Americans. It doesn't matter what country you come from. Your alma mater. If you're going to football games, you probably, you know, have... The song of your school. <laughs> and you know, you got your, your, your comrades, your fraternities, and your sororities. <laughs> America's freedom is being seriously tested now with this COVID-19. And already they got what they call the Delta variant. Waiting in the wings. If the propaganda Don't get you now. The Delta variant propaganda is the next phase. And for those of you all who haven't had it, heard about it, Lambda is waiting in the wings. Pretty soon, you're going to need vaccination cards to travel, to dine out, to attend events, to go to school, to buy and sell. I was watching the news yesterday. Canada has already imposed these restrictions. Think about it, traveling. Now you got to get quarantined. You got to show a card. 
You got to be tested. This is not the way free nations operate. You think you free? See, freedom only comes in Jehovah. It don't come from the government. What the government give you, they can take. I know I'm stepping out on a limb. It's all right. How often have you or we used this phrase, I'm so proud of you? Tell it to our children. Parents have told it to us. We tell it to people. See, we all in some ways deal with the spirit of pride. And we must address that spirit when it manifests or it will consume us and keep us from inheriting the kingdom. I've actually had to purge phrases, terminologies, and words out of my system so that I don't use those words and terminology because it's very subtle, folks. These things that I'm talking to you about is subtle. I have never in my life of 62 years of living experienced the kind of pressure that I'm dealing with around me today. It's a worldwide pressure that is being exerted on the people of the nations of the world. There's a division between those who have been and those who have not been vaccinated. The responsibility of other people's lives are being imposed upon you. You now become your brother's keeper, whether you like it or not where the government want to tell you what to do. Wait a minute, you're free. As a free person, you should be able to go and come as you please. Well, now you're going to have to eventually show this, this card that you have submitted and surrendered your will to those who say, if you want to enjoy the freedoms we gave you, you're going to need this document. And what you have is folks like lambs being led to slaughter. Now, now get this. This is not an anti-vaccine message. It's not about that. It's about who you're listening to. Because if the Almighty tells you to do something, you do it. If he doesn't tell you to do something, you don't do it. You don't let somebody else tell you to do something that is going to, that is going to cause you to affect the temple that he dwells in. Unless your body ain't his temple. Because see, people are saying, well, my body is the temple of, of God. Well, did, who, whose permission did you get to put in that temple that stuff that you're putting in it? Who's your God? Yeshua is now about to give his disciples a lesson on humility. Verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He uses this word humble to make low, to bring low. But who's responsible? You. You are responsible to humble yourself. Other people try to humble you. You resist that. That's when that pride wells up. And I'm going to tell you, that pride will well up in a heartbeat. Before you know it, like a friend of mine used to say, it'll jump up on you just like a serpent. <laughs> it just come up out of nowhere. You see it in, in, in husbands and wives. Wives don't like husbands telling them what to do. Husbands don't like wives telling them what to do. 
Nobody like nobody telling them what to do. And you got to decide whether you're going to listen to them. And don't let them have talked down to you in the past. Because now they just undermine everything you say. They think you're talking down to them when you ain't. Why are you looking at me like that? Why are you sounding like that? You can't tell me what to do. You ain't the boss of me. I got my own identity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I told you I'm coming for you today. Because that stuff is so deeply rooted in us, it blinds us. And then we claim, we claim to love Messiah. You know, like I say to folks, if, even if you reject the first half of the Bible, the second half of the Bible tells us about the order in which the Almighty has established in the home. Husbands are to love their wives like Messiah. Wives are to submit to their husbands like submitting to Messiah. How can you say you're a godly woman and you won't submit to your husband? Because if you won't submit to your husband, you won't submit to Messiah. You claim to submit to Messiah, but your submitting to Messiah is going to be demonstrated based on your submission to your husband. You can say with your mouth whatever you want to. But your actions, out of your heart proceeds your actions. Oh, I love the Messiah. He's, he's my Lord. Who you think you're talking to? I don't have to listen to you. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, our homes are messed up because of pride. Our families are messed up because of pride. Our communities are messed up because of pride. Our assemblies are messed up because of pride. Our nations are messed up because of pride. People are more subscribed and in allegiance to some party than they are to the Most High. See, when you are in allegiance to the Most High, you know what you do? You submit yourself to his word, not the part you like only, but there's some things in his word that are hard. It's easy to submit to the easy part. <laughs> it's the hard part that gets us tripped up. Verse five, he says, and whosoever shall, whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. And then he uses another word. He says, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone will hang around his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Whosoever shall offend, whoso shall offend. And that word offend means to scandalize, to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way to entice, to sin. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey. And this is exactly what the church do to its congregants. It offends. How? Because if what Yeshua is saying here to offend is to cause one to sin. And we look at what sin is. Sin is a violation of the law. And if you're teaching people you don't have to obey the law, then you're teaching people to abandon 
See that one beat to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. If you're teaching people not to keep his commandments, then you're, you're teaching people not to trust in the one you ought to trust and obey. Now, I know this is, for some of y'all, this is a stretch, but the word speaks for itself. Here's where religious pride is dangerous. Religious pride lives on grace from Jehovah, not by faith in Jehovah. Religious pride puts its faith in God's grace, not Jehovah. Just because his grace comes from him, you can't put your faith in grace. It's his grace that gives us grace. It's his love for us that makes available his grace to us. Don't worship grace. You worship Jehovah. Grace for many is a license to disobey and reject the commandments. He didn't give you grace so that you could reject and disobey his instructions. And this is the argument people make, you know, brother, we're under grace. We're not under the law. Well, where did the law come from? The devil? Where did the law come from? The law came from the same place your grace came from. But you're going to put your faith in his grace, but not in him who gave you grace. You, you see how twisted and wicked this is? Religious pride causes one to worship the grace of God while disobeying the commandments of God. Religious pride causes one to sin. Remember, to sin is a transgression of the law, according to 1 John. Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law. For what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. That's what it is. Now, I know that many, they, they, they wonder, well, you know, sin is missing the mark. Well, what's the mark? What's the mark? Whatever I decide it is. No, it's not. Because if sin is missing the mark, then who established the mark? And how you know you ain't missing it if you don't know what it is? I'm just trying to break this down so a child can get it. Not that I'm trying to talk to you like your children, but even Yeshua, in the midst of these grown folks called disciples, he called the child. See, y'all grown. You got all these life experiences. You know everything. You want to dispute and argue amongst each other. Let me call a child who don't know nothing. A child that is dependent on his father and his mother. A child who don't have all the experiences and all that worldly wisdom and knowledge that gets in the way of obeying and trusting the Almighty. It says, woe unto the world because of offenses. See, when you cause these offenses, understand something. As he said earlier, if you offend one of them, it's better for you to be drowned, to have a millstone tied around your neck. Now, this is gangster stuff. 
This is. It's straight up gangster. You know, some bodies that have disappeared and they ain't been able to find it. You know why? Because they're in the belly of some shark that's in the belly of some whale that ends up on some people's plate. Woe unto the world because offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. I feel sorry for some of these pastors. This is why we got to reach them. I feel sorry for some of these individuals that are teaching people what they've been taught and they haven't been, they haven't actually searched. I'm thankful that father got in my face, that he confronted me with my own belief, that he challenged me to think about why I believed what I believed and why I was doing what I was doing. Only to conclude, I was doing what I was doing because that's what I've been taught to do. Well, who taught you and where to come from? You know that the majority of the stuff a lot of the church teach us ain't in the Bible. Praise and worship, according to the church, you won't find it in the Bible. It's not there. Now, folks will take passages from the Psalms and twist it just like they take Passages from the gospel and create Christmas. They've taken passages from the gospel and created a whole nother holy day. Holy feasts and festivals that you won't find in the Bible. Yeah, you'll find the passages that they are associating with them. But you show me a praise and worship team in the New Testament. Facts show me a praise and worship team. In the Old Testament, you know that when the Almighty established the tabernacle, he didn't establish a praise and worship team. David came up with that. Think about that for a moment. This was David's doing. The same David that could not build the temple. Hello, somebody. Why didn't the Almighty establish a praise and worship team in the tabernacle in the wilderness? Now, people will take, you know, Miriam in the song that Father gave Moses to teach to a disobedient, rebellious people after Moses was gone to remind them of their disobedience and their rebellion. That was the song he gave Moses to teach them. Because he said, you know what, Moses? When you gone, they're going to act a straight up fool. And that's exactly what's happening in the church today. Folks going to church, but they're acting straight up fools. Not all of them, but a whole lot of them. It's like, how you pregnant and you ain't got no husband and you at church? How you leading worship and, and, and you sleeping with men? How you, how you doing these things in the name of God? And brother, you're being critical. No, I'm being scriptural. Because the church has caused people to abandon the word and adopt doctrines, church doctrines. Here's what Yeshua said. Listen, if your hand or your foot offend you, cut it off. Now that's some, you know, we just dealt with some gangster stuff with the millstone. But now he's taking that thing to a whole nother level. He's talking about dismemberment. 
Well, brother, you know, he didn't, he didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. Because we'll, we'll, we'll minimize what he said, but I don't think he flinched. He looked at his disciples, because after all, he got a child in the midst of him and says, listen, you see what y'all doing? If you don't change your mind about that type of mentality, you will not enter into the kingdom. Well, if they don't enter in the kingdom, what are they going to be? And how are they going to enter into the kingdom? They got to change their mind about that mentality. And then he says, listen, let me help you. Because if you're struggling with changing your mind, if your hand offend you, you better cut it off. Hopefully it'll be a reminder. If your foot offends you, you better cut it off. If your eye offends you, you better pluck it out. You want to get into the kingdom? Don't think you are guaranteed the kingdom just because you're following me. You got to do what I say do. You got to obey my commands. You got to do what I tell you to do. Teach what I tell you to teach. Go where I tell you to go. What's the point in you giving your life to him and still living your life as it's yours? Don't work like that, folks. Where I come from, they call that Indian giving. Now, I know the Indians don't like it. <laughs> you, you follow what I'm saying? You give him your life, but then you don't give him your life for real. He said, it is better for you to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Do you think he not meaning what he's saying? If you take him serious, then you get, you know what? You will do what he says. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. You can see good, but you burn it. Hmm. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. Remember in Malachi, the Bible said that those who spoke well of him, angels were assigned and they're writing down. See, right now we are being recorded. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're being recorded. You may not see the angels. You may not see the ones who are, who are keeping record. But there has to be a record, so there's no excuse. You can't make no excuses talking about I didn't know. And you got folks who talking about, well, you know, my, my, my pastor told me that we have to keep the law. Well, guess what? There your pastor is over there. Why don't you go join him? <laughs> this is sad, but it's truth. Take heed. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, now keep that in mind, because I'm going to deal with that, and then we're going to bring this to a close. How think you if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray? Doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiced more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. So, you know, why is he rejoicing? Because one of them got lost. He ain't rejoicing over the 99. It seemed like, you know, the person who lost one and said, at least I did got 99. No, that's not how he's dealing with this 
matter. Even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Now, Mark goes into it. Luke, you know, deals briefly with it. But, you know, he's talking about father's concern about the believer and the unbeliever. Messiah didn't just die for Israel. There's some Hebrew Israelites who would want you to believe that. But then the other Hebrew Israelites, they reject that Messiah. Messiah didn't die for Israel. Messiah died for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the world. The world is his. Every human being, every life source, life force, everything that breathed in heaven and on earth. And it's interesting, you know, when you think about it, the trees got ears, they, they hear. You know, the trees breathe, the flowers breathe. Everything Father made has life in it. It can hear you. You can speak to those things, to the mountain, to the trees, to the storm, the elements, animals, insects, everything. <laughs> It is Father's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of Elohim, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And it's our responsibility. Is our responsibility in this generation to speak that kingdom truth to all we come in contact with, whether they want to hear it or not. And it's not that we bash people over the head or force people to listen because those who don't receive you or listen, you shake the dust and keep it moving. Everybody's not going to want to hear it, but some will. There are people who operate because When you deal with pride and humility, there are people who operate in a false humility. They claim to be humble, but get bothered when they are not recognized for something. And here's how, and it's just a few keys on how to recognize pride cloaked in humility. It's pride cloaked in false humility, religious humility, religious piety. When you feel good hearing your name mentioned, oh, the pastor called my name. Okay. When you thrive on compliments, what if you go through life and nobody compliments you? Are you satisfied knowing that you're doing what father told you to do without anybody recognizing that you're doing it? Or do you have to have affirmation from men wanting to be recognized for your ideas? Having idea, it seemed like somebody stole your idea and now they're getting credit for the idea you came up with and now you bothered. If it was a good idea and it works and somebody stole it from you, shouldn't you rejoice that the idea has been implemented or are you upset because you didn't get the credit for it? Where is that coming from? What want credit for something you did? want a title you want a title and then you want people to recognize that title when they address you 
embellish your accomplishments. See? Exaggerate or stretch the truth about your involvement in a project. Want to be congratulated. I have to deal with this on a number of occasions. And if you congratulate somebody and you don't congratulate somebody else who heard you congratulate somebody and now they all been out of shape. You got folks walking around here with their nose all turned up and their mouth all twisted and you don't even know why their mouth all twisted. I'll tell you why. You didn't congratulate them. You didn't recognize them when you recognize them people. When you are threatened by someone else's gifts, talents, or abilities. <laughs> oh, I could go somewhere with that, but I think I'm going to hold off on it. I'll touch on it just a little bit. <laughs> you ever hear the word token? See, th- th- there are some folks who want to be the... They want to be the token. It's like, you know, I, I've gone I've go to some ethnic churches and you have a black family and then they see another black family come and they get threatened. These are my white folks. What you doing here? Ethnic Jews. You know, you got a Jew in the congregation and another Jewish family comes. It's like, holy, holy, holy. Can't you find another messianic community? This is my assembly. I'm the resident Jew here. White folks in a black church. Another white family show up. I'm telling you, this stuff is so subtle. It operates. You know, you got a best friend. And now there's another friend. It's like, hold up. They can only have one friend. I'm the BFF in this, in this group. I'm telling you, this thing operates on so many different levels. Even among children, you know, you, you got three children, and they thriving to be the favorite. I'm daddy's favorite. Well, I'm mama's favorite. Well, whose favorite am I? When you put others down to make yourself look good, Wearing a mask. And I'm not talking about a mask for COVID. I'm talking about when you only want people to see this, this you. Because you're afraid if they see that other, the, the rest of you. You won't come outside unless you all made up. Because you don't want people to see that you. What's wrong with that you? Because the you they see ain't you. It's the made-up you. What about the raw you? And why you feel that you can't be accepted for who you are, you got to make yourself up to be accepted. That's a mask. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I'll be walking around here in the name buff. That ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying to where when you put on airs, you only want people to see your best side. Listen, you know, I don't take pictures in every picture. You have to take my picture like this because this is not my best side. What's wrong with that side of you? My eye droop. Well, you know, when you're looking at people straight on, they see that droopy eye. 
Yeah, but that don't work on Facebook. I want my best side to be shown. It's like, really? Where is this coming from, folks? I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you anything that I, I don't have to deal with myself. That's how I know this stuff. <laughs> you lie about your age. Now, I never lie about my age. I've forgotten. I'm not lying. It's just that I don't remember. Invest more in the external than the inward. See, Paul and Peter tried to address this issue when he talked about adorning and, and, and braiding and gold and all that stuff. Listen, invest in your inward man because that's the man that matters the most. Doesn't matter what you put on the outside. I mean, it does in a sense, but don't focus on the facade. Don't focus on the outward. You want to focus on building up the one that is inside you. Religious pride is very subtle and tricky. If you shower a person with religious pride, with praise, they say something like this. It's all God. It's not me. That's all God. I give God all the honor, all the praise. And there's people who say that and they mean it. But there are people who say that. And you know how they don't, I know they don't mean it. Don't give them shower. Don't shower them with praise. Don't tell them how good they did. And it's one of the issues that, I, that I've had with many people from the time I've walked in church, especially those who stand up before the people to, to encourage or to entertain, is if, if you don't clap or tell them they get a, did a good job or tell them how, how well they sang and how how beautiful they sound. You know, I've been in some places where they didn't sound that good. They really didn't. It's like, you know, I can't, I'm just going to make a joyful noise. Well, you know, why don't you make that joyful noise somewhere else? I know it's a hard thing to say. This is why a lot of choir directors, you got to rehearse. You got to interview. Because we don't have a, you know, they tell you, we, we've got, we got, um, the tremor section, we got the bass section, we got the alto section. We don't have a section for crow. <laughs> As I said, they want you to tell them how well they did and how great thou art. <laughs> so, you know, we are supposed to honor people. We give honor to whom honor is due. You should praise those who are deserving of praise, but you have to check your motives. And the person who are desirous of these things need to check their motives. So you have to be satisfied with the fact that you're doing Father's will, whether somebody compliment you or not. If you've done what Father has told you to do, Nine times out of 10, you won't be complimented. In the world, there are two categories of lost people, and I'm bringing this to a close. Those who had the Torah and abandoned it, that was Israel. Those who never had the truth preached to them, that was the world. So Father gave Israel the Torah. He didn't give the Torah to the world. Israel was supposed to share the Torah with the world, but first they were supposed to live it. You're supposed to live this word before you can share it. 
The church really never had the truth. At best, they had some aspects of truth, but never the truth that make men free. Israel had the truth that made, that make and keep men free. The church had religion. The Torah was given to Israel. Religion was given to the church. The commandments came directly from Jehovah to Israel. Religion came from the Catholics, mimicking the Sadducees and Pharisees religious order was adopted by the Protestants who took a large portion of Catholicism with them when they broke away from Catholicism that mutated into the various religious factions and denominations we have today, all of them with the portion of truth. Every church out there, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, Catholics, they all got a portion of truth. Anybody who operates with any aspect of the Bible is operating on a portion of the truth. Faith is part of the truth. Grace is part of the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is part of the truth adopted by the various denominations and codified by their founders and leaders with a hierarchy similar to Catholicism whose hierarchy was adapted from the high priestly order with the Pope being the high priest in the Catholic church. When you look at the Catholic system, you can see the Aaronic priesthood, the high priest, the Pope, the priests, the cardinals, priests, bishops, all the way down to the, the one who serves in the congregation in the local in the local Catholic church. The Pope is the high priest of the Catholic church, just like the descendant of Aaron was the high priest in the tabernacle and in the temple. Catholicism and Protestantism created holy days from biblical passages while denouncing and rejecting the holy days given by Jehovah. Sunday opposed to the Sabbath came from the Catholic church. Easter opposed to Passover came from the Catholic church. Christmas opposed to tabernacle came from the Catholic church. A Roman Gregorian new year opposed to the biblical new year came from the Catholic church. Patriotism, nationalism, and secular nation building opposed to the kingdom of Jehovah. That's religion. Allegiance to a nation and a party opposed to allegiance to the kingdom of Jehovah. Another aspect of religion and nationalism. Jehovah is as concerned about the lost as he is about the saved. He's as much concerned about the person who haven't heard this truth that we have as much as he is concerned about you. And in some cases more so. Heaven rejoiced when you came. It ain't rejoicing over you no more. <laughs> but when somebody gets saved, guess what? Heaven rejoices. Every time somebody comes into the kingdom, there's a rejoicing. You've had your day of rejoicing. Now, you got some work to do to cause heaven to rejoice. 
Father doesn't want anybody to perish. When we take on the mind of Messiah, we become concerned about the things that concern Jehovah. Today, more than ever, people groups are more aligned with their people group ethnically, religiously, politically, socially, economically. You go to any city here in Charlotte, any city around the world, well, in the United States, because the United States is a nation of immigrants. And you will find immigrant societies within the nation of, of the United States. You'll find Asian communities, Spanish communities, African-American communities. You'll find African communities. You'll find communities of people who have migrated to the United States that all joined together. I almost went to, to the local supermarket. They've got an international section. It's like, okay, the supermarket has got an international section. Well, who's the rest of the supermarket sections for? <laughs> As kingdom-minded believers who follow the true gospel of the kingdom of Jehovah, the gospel Yeshua preached, we must be aligned with the king and his kingdom. Therefore, we got to deal with the issues of humility and pride. We got to deal with the issue of false humility. We got to make sure that we relinquish and eradicate pride out of our lives so that we can humble ourselves because the only thing that's going to keep you from humbling yourself is pride and pride will keep you out of the kingdom. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.